Good morning, Outlook family. Good to see everyone this morning. Glad you made it in. I have a couple of uh, things I need to share with you before we pray and jump into God's word. The first is a piece of sad, but uh, we grieve not as people without hope. Um, longtime Outlooker Dick Jones passed away just a couple of days ago. And I want to, if you knew Dick and Pauline or know Dick and Pauline, I just want you to know about that. That's uh, all we know right now. No arrangements um, have been made exactly just yet. So, but I did want to let everyone know that sad news. Long, long time uh, part of our church family. And so we grieve with them. Keep them in your prayers, please. Thanks for that. Uh, also, on a lighter note, uh, we have a real surprise for, uh, with us this morning. Uh, the Ashy family has, is visiting with us today. Dan Ashy, Kay, and their son Dean are with us. I had the privilege of serving with Dan as his associate minister for five years here at Outlook. He served us for 17 years total, and they're here enjoying the state fair and making some, some visits. So, Ashies, would you let us know they're right there in the, by the center aisle, and uh, if you know them uh, and you didn't get to see them before service, feel free to say hi afterward. Um, and as one, uh, as uh, John Montgomery put it to me, you better do a good job this morning because if you don't, we might give the old guy here his job back. So the pressure is totally on for me. That's right. Well, let's, let's pray together and uh, jump into God's word. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we do pray for the Jones family. We love them and we grieve with them in this loss. Lord, we know Dick loved you, loves you, is with you. Uh, as you promised, Lord, that to be absent from the body is to be present with you and we live our lives in you. And so, Lord, we, we do just lift them up to you as they navigate this loss. Um, and God, we ask that you'd be with them. Uh, Lord, as we open up your word, we ask that you'd be with us. Our hearts are open. Thanks to the beautiful time of worship that we've gotten to experience. Our minds are open as well, Lord. Uh, to receive from you. Use this time to grow us as your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're uh, just in the early parts of a series called Back to Basics. Right now, back to school, back from summer, whatever your uh, rhythm is like, now, right now is a great time to put first things first, to get things organized, to remember what matters most, to be reminded of our priorities, and that's what we're doing in this series, reminding ourselves of the precious truths that we believe, looking to reintegrate them into how we form our own identity and self-understanding, putting back into our lives things that might have slipped or gotten a little lost, the life-giving rhythms and practices that these truths foster in us. In other words, we're getting back to basics. And today, we're going to look at the basic truth of embracing our relationship with God and enjoying it. Embrace the relationship and enjoy it. Today we're going to talk about prayer. And hopefully in a way that expands our view of it. I can certainly testify that when I was young in Christ, I may have thought at times that I was beginning to figure out prayer. I was enjoying prayer. Prayer was a growing part of my life and how to pray and what prayer was all about. But today, I know that I am a beginner. Anyone ever get that lesson? 
Absolutely. Prayer is like that. Prayer, a relationship with God, it's like the ocean, you know, getting drenched with its salty water is a good thing, but that does not equal knowing and appreciating its depths. There is always more to learn, more to explore. And so today we're going back to the basics, while at the same time appreciating just how rich and deep even the foundational truths of our faith really are, even one as foundational as the one we're looking at today. God wants to have a relationship with me and with you. How can we embrace and enjoy that relationship? Ruth Haley Barton writes about prayer in her book, Sacred Rhythms, and I really like the way she defines prayer. She puts it like this. Simply put, prayer is all the ways in which we communicate and commune with God. The fundamental purpose of prayer is to deepen our intimacy with God. Now, I think that's very true, and I think it's a great reminder. That is the what and the why of prayer. The purpose of prayer is not to get my wishes granted like rubbing Aladdin's lamp. The purpose of prayer is not to exert some magical power like waving Harry Potter's wand. None of those things are what prayer is is about. It's not the formulation of just the right words at just the right time with just the right earnestness. It's about developing a relationship, an intimacy even, with the God who knows us, made us, loves us. The fundamental purpose of prayer is to deepen intimacy with God, she writes. Now, can that happen like in my life and in in your life? That sounds like a nice thing on a Sunday morning when the Bible is open and the preacher's up there talking, but seriously, in my life, can that happen, intimacy with God? And of course, the answer you're going to hear me say is, yes, it absolutely can for all of us. Someone say, all of us. All of us. Now, This subject really lends itself to that formula, so to speak, or that principle that we began talking about last week, be, do, and know. The way this works is the idea that there is something for us to learn when we open the scriptures, that Jesus teaches us, and that knowledge is not something we make up, but instead we receive, and then from there it changes who we are and thus What we do. Now, this is a very applicable way of looking at the subject of prayer. So let's start with what we know. God loves me and wants a relationship with me. The Bible makes that clear throughout the scriptures. The Bible makes it clear God loves me and wants a relationship with me. Psalm 139 beautifully talks about how God knows when we sit and when we rise. That if we make our bed in the depths, he is there. When we awake, he is still with us, and we are still with him. Intimacy, presence, nearness. We read throughout the scriptures that uh, now as the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts, we, God does not live in a temple built by human hands, but in our Hearts. Remember what Jesus says in John 14 about how he and his father and ultimately the spirit as well will come and make our home with each of them, Jesus says, meaning those who say yes to him. First Corinthians chapter three, we read, do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells? That's a really great and important verb there dwells in you. Ephesians 3 
Paul prays for these Christians that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This idea that God wants to live in me and invites me then to live in him in relationship, this is foundational to our faith. God is not up there and I'm trying really hard to make a connection with him. God has come to me and promise that a mere yes to him begins, I, means I've opened the, the, the floodgates of letting him begin to fill and live in me. Now, this truth has to be the bedrock of everything else. Really, everything else we're going to talk about in this series has to start with what we talked about last week, being born anew, and this week, that God wants a relationship with me. Before the fact that we can explore, I'm a servant gifted for ministry, we all are, or I'm a student learning scripture, or I have a story worth sharing with others, all these things are important things that, and really essential things, basic things to our spiritual life, but they all must be built on this truth, this knowing that God loves me and wants a relationship with me. This is what we know. This teaching is our common denominator. But then we move from there um, to who we are. Now, what we know right here, what we know, I was just thinking the other, uh, this morning, actually, as I was preparing and kind of finishing things up, uh, I got to visit an Outlooker on Friday uh, over at Westminster, a retirement uh, community, just a stone's throw from here. It was her 61st wedding anniversary. Her husband is in the memory unit in another building, so they don't get to live in the same space anymore. But they were getting ready to celebrate that night with some cookies and some punch, their 61st wedding anniversary. And we were talking about things of God and, and, and theology, and she was just, we were just having a delightful conversation. But at one point, she said to me, Rob, all I want is truth. That's all I've ever wanted. My whole life, I've just been a seeker of truth. And she had come to the conclusion that Jesus was the surest, highest, purest statement of what's true. And man, that was a beautiful lesson. One that all of us can remember and, and, and really plant in our hearts. It's what we know that begins to then build who we are and what we do. And let's just keep pursuing the truth of Jesus. Amen? So, God, want, God loves me and wants a relationship with me. This is what we know. Now let's talk about how that affects who we are or be. That means I am a loved and purposed child of God, created to be in relationship with him. This is who we are. In fact, that's exact, nearly exactly the way John puts it in his first letter. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, he says. I am loved. God is with me. Let's say that together. I am loved. God is with me. One more time. I am loved. God is with me. That foundational truth is one that we can't afford to let slip. This is the way David Benner puts it in his book, Surrender to Love. I I've always appreciated this, this, uh, this statement. The fact that I am deeply loved by God is increasingly the core of my identity. What I know about myself with most confidence 
There are a lot of things about myself I'm less than confident about, right? Anyone? All right. But he is saying, this is the thing that I do know about myself with increasing confidence. He goes on, such a conviction is, I'm convinced, the foundation of any significant spiritual growth. And I think he's exactly right. It's not about how much Bible you know or how well you understand the scriptures or how many of them you've memorized. What your perfect attendance pens say to you, uh, say about you uh, uh, in coming to church on Sunday or Sunday school when you were a kid or whatever. The thing that is the bedrock of all spiritual growth is remembering and not forgetting on any given day that I am known and loved by God. When the fact that I am loved by God becomes my theme song, man, it becomes the resounding chorus that is echoing in my mind, and my mind keeps returning to it, then it uh, becomes more and more who I believe I am. And then that begins to change how I interact with others, how I see myself, how I think about God. Are things going south at work? I am loved. God is with me. It's worth remembering. Are things getting rough or even devastating in your marriage? I am loved. God is with me. Was that news from the doctor not what you'd hoped? I'm loved. And God is with me. And so we pray. We connect and communicate and and commune with God. That's what we said prayer was. And this probably... Just again, so important in the subject of prayer is where being before doing makes all the difference. Super important. That who I am as a loved child of God then motivates the fact that I come to God in prayer. That this is who I am, not just a thing I do. See, it's easy for prayer to slip into just being this thing I do, this obligation, this item on my my task list, right? But when prayer starts and stays as a do, then it's just work. It's just something that I have to get done, or it's some do, I think, D-U-E, that I'm supposed to pay, right? To stay on God's good side, I'll log in my time, like a sign-in book at the beginning of the day. Yep, God's still here. I'm with you. Hope you're with me. I've checked in, right? It just becomes work. But when it lives in be, in being, in who I am, then something far more natural, less pressuresome, and ultimately enjoyable happens. It's a lot like a marriage. It's a lot like that kind of relationship. If your marriage begins to devolve into just doing, these are the things I must do, right, to keep things together or to keep someone, quote-unquote, happy, or whatever. When marriage turns into just something that a list of things I need to do, then we've lost the point. But when marriage is who I am in love, I'm operating as someone who is the lover and the spouse and the support and the absolute partner of this other person. When it flows from who I am, then the doing just comes naturally. Not always easily, but it flows from who I see myself to be. In other words, it comes from the heart. This is who we are. This is how we approach God in our being. But now, given that, laying down those tracks, let's now talk about the do, because there are some good practices 
that we can take with us from this moment together this morning that can help us. But I want to make sure we understand that the do is always built on the common denominator of Jesus' truth. He loves me, and he wants a relationship with me. And then that informs who I am, a loved child of God, not someone who has to stay on God's good side by my good performance. But if we can move through there, then doing is an absolutely appropriate thing to talk about. How to pray in ways that are fruitful for us. In other words, I learn to turn my attention and my thoughts to God, and I spend my days with him. That, at least for me, is a great goal of what we call prayer, spending my days with God. Because he's in a relationship with us, and he wants to be in a relationship with us. We hear that, and it's like, wow, could that, could that really be true? But then we immediately go from wow to how, right? How do we live in this truth, this identity, this self-understanding? How do we cultivate that knowledge and that identity into into our lives? What do we do with it? So I want to share what has helped me immensely when it comes to prayer, to living my days with God. And I'm hoping it might be helpful to you too. Like I said, prayer is an ocean, right? There's just so much to explore. And we're in the next few minutes just going to look at one aspect of that. But I'm praying you'll find it at least somewhat helpful. Maybe you've heard this passage or seen it uh, you know, seen it in uh, needlework on, on grandma's wall or you name it. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we read, pray without ceasing. Some translations might put it, never stop praying, always keep on praying, or pray continually. How on earth do you do such a thing? We do it through what I'm about to talk about. Here's the way I like to put it. When our prayer lives, maybe you've heard uh, someone refer to the fact that they have a prayer life or, or I need to work on my prayer life. But let me put it like this. When our prayer lives simply become our whole lives, then our lives become prayers. Now, who taught me this? Well, it was a guy named Nicholas Herman who lived in France in the 1600s. His parents were peasants, so his schooling was limited. He described himself as, quote, a great awkward fellow who broke everything. It's recorded that he fought courageously in the Thirty Years' War, which devastated Central Europe and left him injured. At 26 years old, Nicholas entered a religious order in Paris as a lay brother, not having the education necessary to become a cleric. And he took on the name Lawrence of the Resurrection. He spent almost all of the rest of his life either working in the kitchen of the monastery or as a repairer of shoes in his later years. Something was different, though, and very special about this brother, now named Lawrence. One father recalled that, quote, once you got past the rough exterior, you discovered unusual wisdom, a freedom beyond the reach of the ordinary. Despite his lowly position in the life of the monastery, his character attracted many to him. He had a reputation for experiencing profound peace, and visitors came to seek spiritual guidance from him. The wisdom he passed on to them in conversations and in letters would later be collected in a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. I'm rereading it now, and I still love it. 
At one point, this is something that Brother Lawrence said. If I were a preacher, I would preach nothing but practicing the presence of God. I would urge everyone to be aware of God's constant presence, if for no other reason than because his presence is a delight to our souls and spirits. In other words, embrace the relationship and enjoy it, right? Now, what I want to do for the next few minutes is give Brother Lawrence his wish for just a few minutes this morning and let him teach and preach to us words from almost 400 years ago. A few quotes from the practice of the presence of God. He says, the most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life, so back to basics, right, is the presence of God, although sometimes I practice it timidly and with a great many mistakes. Isn't that good to hear? I can describe myself in exactly that way, timidly and with a great many mistakes. I am still quite blessed by it, he said. Since we believe, to go on here, since we believe that God is always with us, that's our no, check that out, right? The no, God is always with us, no matter what we may be doing. Why shouldn't we stop for a while to adore him, to praise him, to petition him, to offer him our hearts, and to thank him. You get the idea that he's saying, look, if, if the no here, if, if the common truth that we're building on is that God is always with us, we can't shake him, <laughs> right? He's always right there with us, loving us, near us. He says, man, if that's true, why shouldn't we stop for a while, sometimes even just a little while, throughout our day, to adore or praise or petition or offer our hearts or thank him? See, this takes prayer and expands it. It's it's all the ways we commune with God, even if it means turning our thoughts to him for just moments at a time throughout our day. More on that in a minute. Let's go back to Brother Lawrence. He says, I do believe that it is a common mistake of spirit-filled people. That's us. People who've said yes to Jesus. If you've not yet said yes to Jesus, you're in the right place. Hope you're exploring that truth. We'd love to have that conversation with you. Keep, keep looking at that. He goes, I believe it's a common mistake of spirit-filled people not to leave the cares of the world periodically, to praise God in their spirits, and rest in the peace of his divine presence for a few moments. Again, this is what was helpful for me because it began to, again, expand my view of what prayer could look like, to be mindful of God throughout the day. One last quote from Brother Lawrence. If we knew how much he loves us, we would always be ready to face life, both its pleasures and its troubles. Again, when our lives are built on that bedrock knowledge of God's love for us, then whatever life brings, it may may hurt and it may cause pain and it may rearrange all kinds of things in our lives, and that's absolutely true and that absolutely can happen. But there's something before, behind, underneath all of it I'm still known and loved by God. God is still with me. Now, this was his message and his example. Staying near the Lord in whatever you do, cooking lunch, fixing shoes, whatever, right? He learned to live with God. And people have been learning from him how to live with God for a few hundred years now. Here's the way Jesus put it in John 15. Remain in me. Also, that word remain can mean dwell 
or abide. I said that was an important verb here. God dwells in me. Now we're also being asked to dwell, abide, or remain in him. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. So Jesus is now painting a picture of a branch connected to the vine. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So as we say yes to Jesus, we're being asked to now live, my, live our days and nights, our conscious thoughts, our prayers, our needs, our activities in him, abiding in him, living in him, mindful of him. That word remain means to abide, dwell, stay, not to depart, to continue, to be present. You ever been talking to someone and you start to feel like, are you with me, right? I never feel like that up here with any of you, but no. But you know, there's, there's those moments, and, and, and Jesus probably feels the same about me. I won't speak on your behalf, but there are probably times where he's like, hey, Rob, <laughs> you with me? Prayer is saying, I'm with you. The moments throughout the day is, is when I remind myself, and I stop, and I say, Jesus, I'm with you. Okay, I know you're with me. I'm with you, too. Keep my mind on you. Give me your thoughts. I need your wisdom. I need your help. I need your peace. Man, every hour I need him. We're going to get to say that in song here in just a few minutes. See, too many times you and I are living alongside Jesus, but not with and in him. And it's killing us. We're not abiding in the vine. and We wonder where's all the fruit. There's a richness to our faith that we rarely tap into. I know about Jesus, but I feel I'm only beginning to get to know him. But getting to know him, man, that's where the richness is. Uh, last, a couple Monday nights ago, I was hanging out with this group of guys, kind of uh, a discipleship group, and um, we were talking about uh, prayer, and a couple of them were expressing, you know, how hard it can be sometimes to get that prayer time in at the beginning of the day, and they were, they were referring to it about the five, the ten, maybe even the fifteen minutes at the beginning of the day, and that's, that's, uh, that's the time to to pray, and then the shame you feel when you don't get those 5, 10, 15 minutes in, and then kind of the, the feeling of like, well, and if it doesn't happen then, you're kind of just shot throughout, the, you know, you're, you're done now. You have to wait till tomorrow. But we can look, and so we tend to look at it like this, like this pie chart. Our, our day is full of all kinds of things. Yeah, here it is. Here it is. Uh, and so, you know, you've got your work and your time back at home and whatever you got to do all in all the in-between and then activity. But then maybe there's just this sliver, right? There's this sliver. Oh, that was my 10 minutes with God. Now, there's nothing wrong with 10 minutes with God, right? I mean, that's a great discipline to have. But I, I know that what's helped me is instead of thinking about this uh, all or nothing, am I going to have these 10 minutes? And if not, I've, I've just kind of messed the whole, whole day up. Instead, I've started to realize, and you can see why after listening to Brother Lawrence, God doesn't really want 10 minutes. Man, he wants the whole pie, right? He really wants, he wants the whole pie. Let's change that to a chocolate pie, by the way. Let's just, yeah, there you go. That's much better. I really don't understand. After we invented chocolate pie, we keep making all these other pies. But that's, that's a whole other sermon right there. When, it, when you boil it down, it really does come down to this. When our prayer lives simply become our whole lives, then our lives become prayers. Our hour to hour, our day to day, we're communing with God. Now, is it great? In fact, it's 
tremendously fruitful to carve out time to focus solely on God. It's tremendously fruitful to do that. But today, I just want to focus on the idea that that's not all. Don't think prayer equals only that, right? And man, if I can't swing that, or I get so distracted, or I feel so busy, or on and on and on, then I guess I'm just messed up when it comes to this prayer thing. I'll never get it. No, I want to also offer you an alternative way to look at it that can be very freeing from that condemnation uh, found in the other approach. For so many of us, even after we become a Christian, we live most of our days in our own power, if we're honest with ourselves. We follow our own thoughts. We act and react without reflection. And if we're honest, we're doing our own thing. Sometimes we do things for Christ, but too often forgetting to live each day in Christ. And although we tend to speak of salvation as Jesus in my heart, a phrase used only once, Ephesians chapter 3, or Christ in me, super important, very powerful. He is indeed in us, as we've been mentioning just a minute or two ago. Yet the phrase is used just a few times in the scriptures. We do well to remind ourselves of this other phrase that's actually used 165 times in the New Testament. And that is being in Christ. Christ in me is a beautiful and a powerful truth, but me in Christ, man, that's my choice. And that's the thing I'm, we are constantly encouraged to do throughout the scriptures. The one is the foundational truth. Christ is in me. But me in Christ is what I choose to be through what I do. The Bible's favorite way of describing salvation is one that we don't often use. But to go back to basics... Before I said yes to Jesus, I was in myself. I was in this world. Now I'm in Jesus Christ. I loved and lived for myself in this world. Now I love and live for Jesus Christ. I know many of you can say the same. As we think about prayer, one last thought before we wrap up. I was chatting with an outlooker this week, came by the office and seeking a career change and really seeking God's direction for what's next in his life. And he asked me a question about prayer. He said, am I asking God right? You know, am I asking right? And we opened the Bible and I just laid it out and we looked at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7. And I want to share them with you. This is what Jesus says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be open. That sounds awesome, but it also sounds a little bit like, yeah, that sounds great, but when have I ever experienced it? sounds so easy. I'm not sure I've ever really experienced it quite like that, or at least not very often. But I want you to keep reading. This is what Jesus says in his next breath. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, you'll give him a snake? If you, though you're evil... And that's all of us, especially compared to God, right? Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So this is the perfect context for what Jesus is saying in here. He's talking about trust. That it's not about asking wrong. I don't withhold something from my kids because they didn't ask just quite right, right? Oh, you didn't get those words in exactly the right order. I guess I, I'm not going to give you what you might need today. We trust God, that he is what? And, and when this asking and this seeking and this knocking, it remember back to the definition of prayer. Who are we, 
Who are we wanting to see on the other side of that door when we knock? Who ultimately are we seeking when we seek? What are we ultimately asking for when we ask? Well, if it's just simply a list of requests, like a grocery list, then again, we've missed the total point of prayer. It's intimacy and relationship with God. He's the one that we want to encounter on the other side of the door. He's the one we're seeking. Being with him is what we're asking for. He is what we seek in prayer. And we trust them then to give and to guide what any good parent will give and how any good parent will guide. So we need not have a prayer life, but instead a life of prayer. Like Brother Lawrence, a continual communion with God. So what does this have to do with me in my day-to-day? Simple. When I try to accomplish things on my own, I get disappointing results. When I try to figure things out on my own, I come up with empty answers. When I try to do ministry on my own, I end up exhausted and discouraged. But instead, I begin to realize I'm not on my own, and I was never meant to do these things on my own. Instead, I'm meant to understand that my days are meant to be spent with God. I think this is something worth repeating for all of us. Let's read this out loud together. Our days are meant to be spent with God. One more time. Our days are meant to be spent with God. They really are. So let's embrace this relationship and enjoy it. So I got a little homework for you. Every day this week, at least once, stop and sit with and breathe in and talk to, listen for, confer with, unload if necessary with God. If even for a moment, realize that it doesn't have to be that designated prayer that you may or may not have gotten done that morning. It can also be communing with him throughout the day. A lot can happen in in just a few thoughts when they're turned to God. A lot of peace can flow. A lot of wisdom can come just from those few moments. I am loved, you can say to yourself this week. Perhaps that's a revolutionary statement of faith for you. Difficult to believe. I am loved, but you are. If you need to ask a fellow believer, am I loved? Do it this week. Let them tell you. Let them reassure you. You are loved. God is with me. Is he with me? He is. He's near. In fact, let's just confirm and celebrate that in communion right now. If you have your bread in your cup, I feel like this is a perfect time to just go ahead and pick those right up and, and, and realize that, in, that absolutely Jesus promises that he's with us. And in us. So the greatest thing about prayer that we can also often forget is that we can do it together. That not only are we not alone in that God is with us, but we have each other. We have each other to remind ourselves, yes, you're loved. Yes, God is with you. And we can also pray together. Remember the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the Lord's Prayer? It's in the plural, right? Our Father, give us this day. He knows that we're going to pray together. And so when we take the bread every week, it is a prayer. It's a prayer of thanks. It's a prayer of acknowledgement that God is with us through what he's done for us in Jesus on the cross. And so let's celebrate that and take the bread, his broken body, given for us.
And as we take the cup, we're remembering that Jesus loved us to such a degree that he would sacrifice his own blood, that he would give his life only to take it up again in resurrection for our relationship with him. What a wonder. Let's take and drink together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful truth that we can know and be reminded of this morning, that you love us and want a relationship with each and every one of us. Lord, help us to build on that truth our identity as your children, lavished with your love, children of God, known and loved by you. And because that's who we are, because you're a loving parent, we can turn to you at any moment throughout the day. That's what we can do. We can enjoy a relationship with you. We can share all our burdens with you. We can make our requests known to you. We can trust you to guide and to give in your good wisdom. Lord, we celebrate that. And as we sing this last song this morning, Lord, one of my favorites, I ask God that you would receive it as a prayer. We do need you. Not an hour goes by that we don't. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.